The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, pause that sicko BitTorrent download and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan here to announce show number 252, the Identity Panel, with guests Ani Babayan, Michelle LaRue Bustamante, Scott Golightly, and Richard Turner. Recorded live Thursday, June 7th, 2007 at TechEd 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, bring the ASP.NET Masterclass on site to your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who claims to have borrowed books on phishing using his library card... Carl Franklin. Just, you'll get it. Just wait. Hey, this is Carl Franklin. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Uh, we're here again, Richard. Richard Campbell, my co-host out there in British Columbia. I love Thursday shows. Yeah, I love Thursdays because it's almost the weekend. Yes, that's weekend why. good. Weekend good. And, uh, well, you know, I don't really have much small talk today, so let's just get right into Better Know Framework. All right. And that weird-ass music again. That funky, funky music. By the way, that isn't me. That's, no? Those are loops. No, I did not do that. Okay. I mean, I, I put it together from loops, but that's not my voice. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. The bass notes are my voice. <laughs> so much that's for it. that. That's all. But that's it. That's <laughs> where I one, drew the line. Just one little part. <laughs> yeah. All right, so today's uh, namespace, actually, is system.io.compression. Oh. And this is uh, contains classes that provide basic compression and decompression services for streams. In other words, like zipping streams, like compressing streams with zip-like compression. Right, or using gzip on your web server. Or using that. gzip, that's yeah. right. What is gzip as opposed to, you know, just regular old zippy compression? What is gzip? GZIP's actually the short name for GNU ZIP, as in the GNU General Public License. Aha. It's the uh, version of uh, free ZIP that replaces the Unix 
compressing utilities. And so that's why it's, it's it's basically open. Anybody can use it. It's the one that's in all the web servers and things like that. So what's cool about this is since it works on streams and there's every kind of flavor of stream imaginable, there's memory streams, which can dump uh, data into memory, into a buffer. There's file streams, there's encrypted streams, you know, crypto streams, and you can just combine the, there's network streams where you can just create a network uh, connection like a socket and use a stream interface to go through it. And, and you can just tag these things together as streams are, are great for. You can just line them up and chain them. So uh, it's very easy. There's a deflate stream class, which has methods and properties for compressing and decompressing, even though it says deflate. Use it for both compression and decompression. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to use. You just, when you create it, you pass in the base stream and you just read and write. And there's great samples in the, uh, help file. Good stuff. Easy. I like nice. it. Just the way I like it. So if you're looking for a zip solution, look no further than the system.io.compression namespace. I wonder how much they had to course Phil Katz to, to come up with that, you know? Or it, did he have anything to do with it at all? PK stands for Phil Katz, the guy who, I think it's Phil Katz. He's the guy who wrote the initial zip. And before that, before it was zip, it was something else. Was it like ARC or something? Remember back in the DOS days? Yeah, yeah. They, they did different names back then. But yeah, this guy basically made his living out of doing zip and it became such a, a prevalent and widely used utility that it made its way into Windows. But, you know, we don't have to give the history of zip here. I just wanted to let people know that uh, this system.io.compression.namespace really is where it's at for zip in .NET. All right, I got an email. Okay. And not a happy email. I'm always glad when I get an email where people really yell at me. Mm. Uh, this email is from Giulio Vian, who is with Microsoft Services in Italy. Ah. Interesting. And it's about Mark Pollock's show, which was 247. Right. And... A uh, little, you know, you can see the Italian in the language here, but I'm just going to read it as is. It all makes sense. So did a pair of hands come out of the uh, document and start waving around in the air? Is that it's it? funny that you say that because even though I'm recording a radio show, I did those hands things, as I said, that the uh. Italian came out. Of it. So <laughs> you totally busted me, Mr. Franklin. <laughs> I can see through the radio. There you go. You're amazing. All right. It opens up with no present preambles or anything. It says, you guys deluded me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You completely missed from the show talking about aspect-oriented programming complexities. It was more of a feature list. How nice it is. Marketing chat. Come on, you can do better than this. Hmm. Back to the point. I took interest in AOP. Aspect-oriented programming. Right. AOP. Aspect-oriented programming. Some years ago, but Clemens Vasters, and it seems to me you know him well, sure. opened my eyes. His own interest in AOP dropped as he discovered that it's impossible to generally solve the problem of composing aspects. For example, when you do a method call, should it run before the synchronizer aspect or the transactional one? If you do it wrong, what happens is the bad word we've all learned to disgust. Deadlocks. Ah, deadlocks. Yes, I hate deadlocks. Me too. I don't want to say that it is useless or that there aren't practical solutions. It's just that it's not a secondary issue. It's a situation very similar to ORM. It can be useful, but it may hurt you. Anyone told about this performance? How much does it cost on object creation and method interception? 
how does Spring.net try to optimize this? Hmm. So we've been called out here. I mean, I would point out first off that we were asking Mark Pollock about Spring.net, and Spring.net is a lot more than just AOP. AOP is certainly a feature of it. Well, and it also makes obvious that we need to do another show on AOP. Just one? I'm thinking we may have to go into this for a little while well, if I'm we're going to into it. Well, yeah, I'm thinking we ought to get somebody here to explain the basic stuff of it in a really clear way, because, you know, we've we've danced around it a little bit, but yes. I'll be honest, I don't, I still don't know what it means. You know, I still don't know exactly what it is. So, and I'm sure the, a lot of the listeners are in that same boat too. So let's, let's do a show on AOP where we can clearly define it and see what the, uh, what the promise is anyway. And then let's do a SmackDown show. Let's get Clemens for a SmackDown. And you're exactly right with the, similar to ORM. These are third party tool sets purporting to be AOP. You know, they are under that umbrella and there's a bunch of different ones. And so I, I suspect we're going to end up talking about this for a little while if we're really going to dig into it. Sure. We might as well. And just in case we're not sure that Julio really does love us, he ends the email with, I'm regularly listening to your show now for more than a hundred episodes. Have I or have I not acquired the right to get some swag? Yes, you have. Once <laughs> <laughs> well, you send us the email, Julio, then it's easy. Excellent. Okay, well, so no new code camps. Right. But uh, they are listed at .netrocks.com, or they will be shortly. And uh, we still want to mention the .NET tour in New York City is still going on strong. If you want to uh, work in a great environment in New York City and live in uh, Manhattan rent-free for a year, check out the details at shrinkster.com slash kh6. So I guess we better introduce the show since it's the last of our series of the TechEd panel discussions. You know, we've gotten a lot of email saying that these panel discussions are among the favorites of our listeners. That's great. And I really like it because there's no other way to do a show quite like that. Bringing those guys together is almost impossible. So having TechEd, where they're all going to be there, and then getting them for an hour to line them up and just argue through the issues, it's a lot of fun to make them. You know, it feels like one of those CNN town meeting shows, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Where people in the audience are participating. The guys are, you know, getting into it on stage. You know, it's great. And I hope we can do this at trade shows everywhere, not just TechEd. And uh, what was special about TechEd this year was we did three of them. I mean, we, I don't think we've ever done that before. I mean, knock out a bunch so that we have some content for a while. So this show is on identity. Of course, if you listen to our Kim Cameron show long ago, the, that introduced the topic. And uh, let's just roll the tape. Hi, this is Carl Franklin. Welcome to .NET Rocks, the identity panel at TechEd 2007. Hey, Mr. Campbell, how are you? I am well, sir. And here we are at the virtual TechEd stage. It's day four. It's Thursday. Nine in the morning. Nine in the morning. Ish. Ish. Too early. <laughs> Only because the influencer party was last night, or was it the under the influencer I didn't, party? I last didn't night? go to that. Did you go to that? I got there right at the end and went to the next party and the party after that one. Oh, okay. So you're more tired than I am. Well, anyway, uh, we have a, a panel that's going to be discussing identity this morning. Uh, why don't you uh, tell identify them? Is that what you're identify saying? Identify the you're identity teeing that up? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, actually, I'm not going to identify. You can identify yourself. We'll start on the right with Rich. Hi, I'm Rich Turner, I'm product manager for Windows Card Space. Or am I? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, beside him, will the I'm real Michelle Richard Lerou. Turner please stand up? <laughs> right. Sorry, go ahead, Michelle. Uh, Michelle Arubus Damonte, architect with iDesign, regional director for San Diego. Hi, I am Scott 
Golightly. Uh-huh. And I am the regional director for Salt Lake City. Hey, wait, I thought I was Scott Golightly. Hey, this is me stealing your identity. I am Scott Golightly. Oh, no, I'm sorry. My name is Ani Babayan, and I am the identity product manager on the .NET Framework product management team. Is that long enough for everybody? Okay. So I guess I am Scott Golightly, and I'm the regional Are director. Are you sure? I, I'm pretty sure I have the badge, and so, you know, yeah. it, it's got to be official, right? I write names in my underwear, too, but my name's not Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> too much information there. <laughs> all right, so uh, identity. Now, you know, you guys have all heard the story of what happened in, the, in, the, in Pat Hines' session at TechEd. Did, yes. did, did, oh, Michelle didn't hear? Richard, you were there. I wasn't there, so why don't you tell me? Yeah, I got recruited into this thing. Well, of course, I don't know why everyone, when they want to do something a little out of control, they call Steve and I. But Steve (laughs) Steve Forte Forte and I crashed Pat Hines and Dwayne LaFlotte's session. What we did is we showed up a little bit early, hopped up on the stage, and just started giving the session. So describe what we were going to do and, and, and so on. Called ourselves Pat and Dwayne and had a little conversation beforehand, which is fairly normal for Steve and I. And as, just as we were getting into about the first slide, Pat and Dwayne showed up yelling at us about what are you doing, why are you on the stage, we're Pat and Dwayne. And Steve had gone to the effort of actually getting a piece of paper writing Patrick Hines on it, sticking it in his badge. So he ran out to the audience and says, doesn't this say Patrick Hines? And the guy said, yes. And Pat had left his real badge on the stage, on the podium. So he walked up, picked up his badge, put it around his neck. He says, my badge, says Pat Hines. It's the real badge. And somebody from the audience jumped up and said, he just picked that up off the podium. <laughs> so then we held a poll to the audience and said, oh, how many people believe that Steve, it actually pointed at Steve and said, is this Patrick Hines or is this Patrick Hines? How many people believe this, this is Patrick Hines? And most people thought, that Steve Forte was Patrick Hines. <laughs> so he'd sold it. And then we flipped up the slide that actually showed the photographs of the people who were supposed to be giving the session, and everyone realized they'd been duped, and then we ran out of the room. <laughs> what a great way to illustrate the, the problem. And I mean, Pat went directly into that. How do you really know who someone is? And you're looking right at them, imagine, on the Internet. Why are you having some sort of digital thing, some sort of credential? So uh, let's just... Pick it up with anyone who wants to start this topic. Uh, we know what the problem is, obviously. What's, uh, what's a person to do? Pull the cable out of the back of your computer. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. solution. Lock the door. Lock the door. That's the first there you go. step to security. Put Vaseline on the handle of the door. Yes. Yeah. That one works too. Yeah. Put um, in an alarm system. Quick question. Has anyone been fished? Sorry, is anyone willing to admit to being fished? Does anyone know what fishing is? Fished. I, I go fishing all the time. I, I, only, oh. I see a That's couple of heads nodding, oh, yeah. but I only saw one hand so, or so. so. The problem okay. is if you're fish, and we're talking fish with a pH. With right? a pH. Yeah. If you've been fished really well, you don't know you've been fished, right? That's well, right. until it's too late usually, yeah. Which Absolutely. Is, which is generally manifest how? The bank account is empty? Your bank account's empty. Your eBay account is suddenly uh, massively overdrawn. Your email is now full of sent items that you didn't send. Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Essentially, someone's managed to log in as you. Right. Yeah. And uh, this is essentially one of the biggest problems on the web right now. If you saw USA Today yesterday, anyone get USA Today in the hotel? Yeah. Yesterday's issue, if it's still there, take a look at section B. And it's talking about how um, a, a vet that's just returned from uh, the Middle East has just come back to find his credit score on the floor 
and he's now liable for thousands of dollars worth of credit card charges and so on because while he was away some people managed to get some of his information and used that to masquerade as him to apply for credit cards all over the web. Well, it happened to me personally. While we were on the .NET Rocks road trip, right. some, somebody took a receipt or something that I used somewhere and assumed my identity and racked up thousands of dollars in charges. Did they really? That, uh, fortunately, uh, and this is a really good tip, get a bank where you can go in and know somebody by name and they're not going to be bought or sold or something. A local bank is a good thing. Yeah. So I'm so glad I have a local bank. But and, and an and interesting concept of identity, right? Yes. It they, was a person on the other side of the desk that made the difference for you. That's right. So it was very easy to get the charges taken away. Sure. Until that person leaves. Right. Well, yeah. actually, it hasn't been a problem with the local bank, people leaving. They tend right. to stay uh, because they're not selling to big monolithic right. banks. Because nobody merging. leaves New London. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, and also, um, speaking of news... Podshow.com, which is Adam Curry, the father of podcasting, his company got hacked while we were here at TechEd. Just a couple days ago, I got a, several emails that says Podshow hacked from Podshow.com, followed by an apology from Podshow <laughs> that said, I'm sorry, but we were compromised and we're sorry for all the emails. So if this happens to those of us that should know better, right. how does the rest of the world expect to protect themselves against this? It's a good question, but I'm asking the question, so why don't you, why don't you answer that? <laughs> oh, I get to ask the questions and answer them. There's such power. Um, so I think one of the things to consider is how do you identify yourself online? Rough guess. Well, how, do, how do you password. primarily do so? Username, password? Yeah. Anyone use any other mechanism? You actually use a smart card on the web? Yeah. To your company website. Okay. But generally on the web? Okay, so you get the, um, the picture block and you choose one of the pictures you previously registered with them. Okay, cool. So, just to repeat, you said your bank has a thing where you select your picture to log in? And no, I log in and they report back saying, does this look familiar? Oh, you log in and they report back saying, does this look familiar? So, yes. you, you so provided them with a picture and then they show the picture back to you. Just more for you to know that, that you know them. Yeah. You can select which one of these do you want. I want that one. Ah. Next time you go, you, get, you expect to see that one. You select it. Okay, so you, you select your yeah, so, so here's a question for you. What happens if they remove that feature at some point in the, feature, in the future? Will you recognize that and check to see if it's the bank? Yeah. Maybe not because it's new and it's the only thing I log into which you used it. Now, interesting. Maybe bank not America. because it's new and it's the only yeah. thing that she's... Actually, that's in. a really good point. Consistency, right? Yeah. If people are used to username password today, and they are, so they do it every day. But if they could get used to a new way that is safer, that does report back who you're actually sending information to, and does allow you to select visually and see visually who that is, and, and also select visually who you want to be when you send your data and what data you want to send, then you'd be in a better state. Because everybody eventually, hopefully, will be using it, right? All the key banks and things like that. I was thinking in terms of that's a trust issue. Do you trust that mechanism enough that if it wasn't there, you would stop what you were doing? You would exactly. change your behavior. And that's really, yeah. I guess, the measure of a good uh, protective mechanism yeah. is that 
you actually react to its absence. Yep. Right. So pervasiveness. This actually yeah. Sorry, pervasiveness yeah. and then trust, right? Yep. So it has to be pervasive first too because, you know, you might trust that one thing with your bank, but you can't say I trust that with everybody because it's the only one. Yeah. So that actually adds an awesome point because trust is a funny thing, right? Trust is something that you can give and get and it can go away in time and it can go bad and so on and so forth. One of the things my bank does is it asks me five random questions about my mother's pet's name or something of that sort, right? Right. right. And then I have to remember all the answers every time I log in. Not only do I log in, but then I also have to answer it that same way. If I don't, then I'm, you know, out. But the problem with that also is that you can still get fished. Not only that, you can still go to your bank site, not know your login, and then spend another two to three hours trying to find out what was my password, okay? Then have them send it to you in an email, no less. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's that. really secure. Really secure. And Thank if it's you. not your bank, then you're yep. typing all that into somebody else's site, and they're collecting variations of your username and password that then they'll go to Wells Fargo and well-known banks and see, hey, does this work? Absolutely. And if they win, then... Yeah. Well, That's the it. other problem, too, is that we're talking here about banks and places I've already got some sort of relationship with. I want to deal with them. There's the other issue of I'm out there and I'm looking for the perfect anniversary gift and I'm going to a new store that I've never heard of, but someone recommended to me. So right. now how do I trust, you know, someone says, oh, go out here to, you know, da-da-da.com, whatever the, the URL is, and and you have to feel comfortable in, in the recommendation or if you're just going into a search engine. I have no relationship with them. I have no, nothing to base this on. You know, I can't look at it and say, this seems different than last time because there is no last time. And right. unless there's a single experience across the Internet or something that's very similar every time, how would I know that this is different and, and that there's something there that should be raising red flags to me? Yeah. And essentially, you've got to say, what's the root cause? What is, all we're doing with all of these mechanisms is adding lipstick to a pig. Nice. The pig being username password, we're adding select a picture, answer some extra questions. We're just adding more and more things the user has to do, more and more hoops they have to jump through to authenticate themselves. And many of these things are actually easy to overcome. It gives you a false sense of security that you're actually doing something positive to solve the problem. So if the root of all of, all of this is the fact that we're training people to type in credentials to websites they can't identify then we're never going to get anywhere. It's just yeah. continual lipstick this time, sunglasses the next time, a skirt the next time. It's still a pig. Yeah. But it's a beautiful pig. It's a, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe in your eyes. Hey, <laughs> that no raises pigs. Such I'm question. vegetarian. Uh, nice. So I get think we that. need to put lipstick on the rutabaga. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yes, yeah. that, on soy. That's what it's all okay. about, oh, lipstick on soy. Lipstick line on soy. Okay. But... So, yeah. um, one of the things here is that, you know, common theme is, yes, there, there are a lot of problems, right? What are we going to do about it? Yep. So what you're basically telling me here is the username password method is flawed, and we got to get rid of it. Well, yeah. we haven't even talked about the worst flaw there is that people reuse their username and password across Well, yeah, well, don't make me remember more of them. Come so, on. Here, let's so, do a quick I'm, poll. Who has used the same password at more than one site? I see most of the hands. Who hasn't up. got that? About eighty percent. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Huh? Ah, so you use a common password. <laughs> so if someone knows you append the site name, 
Which now we all know. Which now everyone knows. knows. Yeah. So, so and, what's your name? And you Where can you, you can trust everyone around you, right? You know them. And, and <laughs> well, we're all trustworthy here, of course. Well, this problem has been. We've tried to solve this problem with things that are obviously too difficult for Joe, internet user, to figure out. Certificates have been out there for a long time. Some sites have certificates. Some don't. Who who on earth checks certificates? When they go to a site. And, and then there's the issue... Okay, Scott, you guys do on the panel. But then there's the issue of red, you know, secure email. I think Will Wheaton is the only person in the world who has a secure email address that you have to actually register in order to send him email and get some sort of encryption thing. And, you know, when I wanted to send him email and I, I couldn't figure it out. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not sending you email. <laughs> And that's the problem. If we make this too hard for people to do, they just won't do it. If we, I mean, you, you've, has anyone ever given up trying to sign into a website? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Has anyone wanted to buy something? Well, I see about half the, half yeah. the room's hands. Has anyone yeah. wanted to buy something from a site and just said, stuff it, I'm going to target? Yeah, yeah okay. I've done that too. Large number that's of people. About, about a quarter. About a quarter. Yeah. So yeah. this is the problem we face. If we keep on adding more and more cosmetic items to said animal, then we're just going to make it so <laughs> hard that people go away. Yes. Sorry, the soy pig, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you, get, you get soy bacon there. I don't think they have soy pigs, pig. but they have the tofu soy pig. turkeys. Tofu turkey. Tofu turkey. Tofu turkey. Tofurkey. Identity, tofurkey. This is all just coming together. There's here. a song here. I yeah. know there is. You know, TM, so, copyright 2007. So, I think somebody mentioned SSL, right? Um, great, great thing to have on a site, but really... A lot of sites do. I mean, anymore, all you have to do, like, uh, let's see, some certain person that I will mention who exactly a bit later um, went to a site last night or the night prior and paid $5 for an SSL certificate and bada bing, bada boom, he was done. He was out of there. You know, it's so easy to get an SSL cert. So does that mean that it's really secure? And what does the SSL cert tell you about the site? It just says that they paid the $5 and got the cert. Yeah. Well, I got, I got that little lock symbol on my browser. I feel oh, better. And it, yeah, oh, and it's yeah. got that pretty lock on it. Yeah, but right. Absolutely. In order to get a cert, don't you have to disclose some information like your Dun & Bradstreet number and some other things? To obtain so a cert? No. To, no. The, to the cert provider? No. Well, Not why anymore. don't we actually ask somebody who did it um, the night prior? Twain? Wait, you got to... Yeah, yeah. Move back there, there Dwayne. Step out back and tell us what it took. So, Dwayne LaFlotte. Um, so yeah, current certificates today, the, the, the way to, a treat, to obtain one of those, very, very simply put, um, you can make up any domain you want. I can go out and register any domain I want, and I can say that I'm the administrative contact for it, um, and then I can pay five bucks and I can get an SSL certificate. And when you go to my site, um, essentially VeriSign, whoever else will say, yes, this site over here is www.whateverhesaid.com. That's it. Uh, and, and then your traffic between that site and yourself is encrypted, but there's, there's no more validation other than that. Um, so I, as a, as a hacker or a fisher, could go purchase SSL certificates all day long um, and, and make any site look secure, and it, you really wouldn't be able to tell. So this, this actually raises an important point. How do you identify the website you're visiting? Not just that that domain matches the cert in some particular cases, but who owns the site? Who runs it? Right, who that's is what it's actually going to store the data? That's yeah. why it started. Absolutely. Because we wanted to be able to have a third party be able to verify, oh, 
This is the person's name. We've contacted. They used to actually come to your they site. They used to. The Dun & Bradstreet search. Pictures. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, they, used to, they wanted physical evidence that you are who you said you well, are. Guess they don't what? Do that anymore. They've started doing it again. Have they? They have. There's no, a new type just, of certificate you can get. Is this just Network Solutions? or This is everyone. Moto do it as well? This is all of them. All of the root CAs have signed up to a program called the Extended Validation Certificate. Is everybody to, else grandfathered out of it? I mean, no, no they, th this is a new type of cert. It's still an SSL cert, but essentially it's a certificate that contains the domain to which it's registered, yep. the company name that owns it, where they're located, state, city, country. Yeah. The fact that to get one of these, you have to prove that you're an officer of the company. The company isn't trading fraudulently. It's an incorporated organization. Uh, you, they actually will, Verisign will actually send someone to the place of business as a CPA yeah, to, to audit that it actually is then it's a legit, legitimate business. And once you've proven all of that, then they give you an EV cert. Now, the beauty with an EV cert is when you visit that site, and you can do this today. Go to eBay, uh, eBay or PayPal today, and you'll see that if you're running on IE7 or a, a recent version of Mozilla, you'll see the address bar go green. That's a visual cue that this site is protected with an, with an EV cert which the, uh, the applicant has had to go through a much more stringent process to identify that they are a valid entity before they get the cert in the first place. So if you walk up to a site that looks like eBay and the address bar is green, the chances are that's probably going to be eBay. Now, what, does it matter? Because we've got an army of Internet users out there who don't care. Yeah. They don't care yet. Yeah, this yeah. really comes down to do you alter your behavior based on the color of that address bar? And this is not only that it turns green sometimes, it also turns red sometimes. It does. Yes. And it's yeah. only an IE. Uh, no, and Firefox, and okay. Opera. And Firefox, okay. Yeah, we all got together and agreed on what the color scheming was okay, going to be. Okay, I said corrected. And this is, you know, this is only three months old, so PayPal, eBay were one of the first to sign up. Microsoft's just about to add its own, etc., etc. You're going to start seeing more and more and more sites going green, going green, going green. Hopefully most of your banks by the end of the year will be going green. Oh, that's good. Which will be a great step forward because then people will be used to the green and right. then when they go to somewhere that looks like their bank and it's not there, uh, hang on, something looks different. And maybe they only do online transactions with sites that go green. That doesn't yeah. mean they don't interact with all sites that are at least not red. All right, right? So, yeah. so let me recap here. We know there's a problem with identity. There have been lots of attempts to fix this problem. Most of those uh, fixes are difficult for people to use. They're lipstick on a turkey lipstick made of tofu. Lipstick on a tofurkey. <laughs> okay. Thank so you. now comes card space. Indeed. Right. Now card space, uh, if you haven't heard about it, is what, Richard Turner? Card space is, in human language, we've got a technical version of this, but in human language, card space is a tool that helps you manage your different identities, your different uh, identities that you present to the websites that you log into. It's essentially an application that runs on Windows. Cardspace is a Windows application. Novell and IBM and, and the open source community are building identity selectors for other platforms as well. But Cardspace is an identity selector that pops up on your screen when you interact with a website that supports it and presents to you your different identities represented visually as cards because we all know and love our own wallets, yeah? With our cards in, we can recognize which wallet is ours because of the particular cards and so on that we've got in there. Now, just quickly, why would you have more than one identity? 
Well, Aren't you just you? My so, therapist has spent a long time getting me down to one person. <laughs> Why are you telling me I need more? Now so, you're talking so you about have multiple personalities anyway. Uh, yeah, just being absolutely. Difficult. So. so let me ask you a question. If I gave you this That'd to prove your, who I am. Your tech ed badge. My tech ed badge. Would you let me borrow your car if I showed you this? Yeah, and I've already done that bit. You, you know, we started the show with that. Absolutely. But, but, but is that enough for you to feel comfortable that I know how to drive a car in the U.S. because everything's on the wrong side of the vehicle. Yeah? <laughs> no. No. Strange. So if I show you a driver's license, if I maybe pull out my wallet and I show you that I have actually gotten a driver's license you from have Washington driver's State. License. Ah, so you have oh. a Washington State driver's license. Washington State, a, 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 a fake American one, yeah. There you go. Very okay. Nice. So Which you in, got in, online, we print, we print them on paper, you know, it's good old-fashioned stuff. So is that enough for me to borrow your car? Okay. What if I crash it? Well, that we get well, into the whole insurance issue, don't uh-huh. we? So maybe you'd want to see a statement of my insurance as well. No, I'm a Canadian. We don't have to worry about those. Ah, okay. Socialized <laughs> insurance. So, but the point is that that is one statement about me. So's that. So's an insurance document. So's my visa card. So's my passport. So's all right. So, so we're so not to, we're not at. One identity for all... Absolutely not. All applications. Because identity what, what is means, the one identity? I think it's important to state that mm. identity means different things to different vendors, to different sites, to different applications, right? So and you don't necessarily want to disclose information piece A right. to vendor so B. So maybe a government site needs to know who I am based on some sort of, uh, you know, my passport or social, social security number. Yeah. Oh, that's a great right? one. So just, just, just on that one, just on this, this is a bugbear of mine. I arrived in the country four years ago. I go to the social security office after showing them a mountain of paperwork to prove who I am and small child and blood sample and all the rest of it. And they said, here's your social security card. And as I reached out to take it, the guy on the other side said, don't give this number out anywhere. <laughs> right? Okay, so I can't have a credit card. I can't have a bank account. I can't have a job. I can't. It's everywhere. You can't get a mortgage without one. Right. And of course, because mortgage paperwork is public record in the States, that means that anyone can go down to the Seattle City Council offices, show their driver's license, which of course isn't a national ID, but maybe. Um, can walk into the offices, find my records, and find my social security number. Cool. Nice. Yeah. But don't show it, it to anyone. Don't show it to anyone. Don't give it out unless you're absolutely certain it's a government agency on the other side or someone who really needs to know it. So, Michelle, pick up the point there that you were about to make. Um, well, I mean, we were just saying that your claims, right, how you identify yourself can be different to different applications. So if we think digitally, right, uh, one site might just need to know my name and email address. My bank might say, you know, it's okay to uh, create some personal information about you that you send, but I need to know your address, your phone number, and other things. I'm not going to send my address and phone number to every site just to prove who I am, but I might be okay with you know, giving that information to a bank if it's my bank, like you're saying that Ani was saying that she had to, you know, type in a bunch of information to prove who she, who she is every time she logs in. So I think the information can vary. Uh, Visa, in order to, you know, uh, grant access to make a purchase, needs to know other things like my uh, card, the magical number on the back of my card, the actual card and expiry, and then they can look me up and see if I have enough informa- enough money to buy the thing, right? So how does it work? How, it's obviously, it, it sounds probably to some people like form fill, which is, you know, the thing that you use to fill out 
your credentials in a in a web page when they're asking for it. But how how does it work? So I have to add one more piece here because I think before we start talking about how it works, it's important that we identify what are some of the key components that we're talking about. Okay. And even though we said card space, I think some of you are going, oh, great, is this a new product? Is it a new tool? What the heck is it, right? Think of card space as your wallet, okay? You have as a what? lot of I'm identity sorry. as a wallet. A wallet. Right. Okay. So you keep a lot of various types of cards inside your wallet. It's your license. It's your credit card, it's your you know, numbers to people, it's cash, it's check, it's everything, right? So one of the key things is a card space is a place to hold various types of identification cards. Finally, now, as Richard says, sense. yeah, as <laughs> Richard said, those cards could be a license, it could be his badge, it could be whatever. Okay, so that's one piece. Second piece is there's this thing about claims. Claims are the items that you actually find on each of these identity cards. So on a license, I would find my license number. That's a claim about me. Okay, that identifies me. I would also find my name or my last name. Then finally, we also talked about tokens. You know, tokens are the digital way of passing back and forth these identification cards. Now, each token can contain variety of data. So one token could just have my name and my last name, whereas another token might have more than that. And yep. maybe one other, you know, sort of flow thought here in terms of interaction, human interaction with a store to buy something where I give my card to do the purchase and I give my ID to show that I am the person that really should be giving you the card, right? Unless my picture's on the card. Uh, that human interaction has a couple of metrics, right? One is, what am I allowed to do, right? Can I buy the thing? Do I have enough money in my visa? The other is, who am I? And those are different things about you that you might need to share with uh, an online presence. So what we're doing is converting this human interaction where I'm handing over a card to a digital interaction where you select a card, but what it does is, like Ani says, because I selected card A, that turned into a representation of the claims on that card. So the question is, who builds the token, right? Who is allowed to put, you know, my address, my phone number, my name into this security token? And that is what we call an identity provider. So that's the segue, maybe. Yep. Sort of analogous to a certificate provider. Right. right. And, and, and it comes down to the same level of trust as with the certificate provider. Like Dwayne said, five bucks, he was able to get a certificate. So there's right. going to be various levels of trust, things that I assert about myself. If I go in and I create this myself, well, you know, someone took the effort to type it in, and that's about all the more I can trust it right, for. Right, exactly. Um, you know, how much time does it really take to type in a fake I swear, name? I'm not lying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ask me. <laughs> exactly. Ask me, I'll tell you. Yes. So, and, and then there will be other people who will provide an identity. So, you know, just like we have with the SSL, there, there will be different levels there as well. So maybe, uh, you know, there will be somebody out there in the cloud who just gives me a certificate that says someone went to the effort to come to my website. And I would give that maybe a little more trust because, well, you know, they did go find this guy and, and put in, in their information there. And then maybe it's my bank or a credit card company or a government agency that I might trust a little bit more. And then we could get to, much like with the EV certs, where someone is actually coming and verifying. I go and I say, hey, this is who I am. And they come and they show up at the address I've given. They look for my social security number or whatever, you know, there, there's all sorts of different levels and it's just up mainly to the marketplace to decide how much 
trust do I want to put in these claims that people are making and, and what kind of barriers do I want to put around it to stop fraud? It comes down to a business decision. Is it harder to stop the fraud beforehand by making the barrier to get these certificates very high or is it cheaper to just go ahead and, and accept some level of fraud? Hey, do you find that the horizontal scroll bar is the most annoying thing when you're trying to read that impossibly long line of code? Well, maybe a 19-inch LCD monitor would help. Telerik challenges you to explore their new reporting product and have a chance to give your workstation a facelift. A 19-inch NEC monitor could be yours if you answer a few easy multiple-choice questions about Telerik reporting. Just spend a few minutes and see how easily you can generate Windows, Web, and PDF reports. Play with the drag-and-drop data binding. Experiment with Telerik's acclaimed CSS-like customization of reporting items. The reporting tool is fast, compact, and very easy to deploy with a mere X-copy. Even if you don't get top marks in the quiz, you can still be a winner. The modest score of seven correct answers out of 11 questions secures you a complimentary Telerik reporting developer license that you can use in your personal and professional projects. So go to Telerik.com and give it a try. It's fun. It's interesting. And it can get you a free license or a new monitor. All right. So I've gone to the trouble of getting my cards. I've installed CardSpace, which is a free product? Yes. yes. Okay. I've installed CardSpace. I've gone to an identity provider. I've got my cards for my address, my phone number, maybe my driver's license number, my credit cards, all of these things, maybe my passport number. But I got all these different cards, right? And w- w- is that the way you pr- pretty much yeah. do it? So some you know some of those cards as Scott alluded to, some of those cards you might create yourself. Just asserting right. some information you might yeah, like to claim about yourself. Sure. Stuff yeah. that's not critical. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so some of those cards you can create within card space on your own machine, just click add card, you edit its contents, and that's a a, a, a card that represents fifteen fields of telephone book quality right. information. There's a question over here. Like yellow pages. Returning to my bank, which asks for a confirming picture and a word that goes with it when I sign into them, am I going to make a card that represents that word and I'm going to have another card that represents that picture so I can pick all the appropriate cards when I connect to them? I think, well, do you want me to? Sure. So, so there's two types of cards that you can uh, work with in CardSpace or any identity selector. One is a personal card that you create, like Richard said, and the other is a managed card, which is actually issued by uh, the identity provider, as we called it. Now, your bank could become an identity provider for itself, which means that it issues you a card that you install into CardSpace under some, you know, presumably safe environment, meaning you've already logged in at least once, and then they said, okay, now we'd like you to, you know, install a managed card, and that's how we want you to log in from now on. And then they know that during that trusted exchange, it was you that installed the card into your machine, right? Sort of like when you get the card in the mail that has the phone number on the back and you have to call from your home number. So you have to get into your house to make the call, which probably means you picked up the mail, not some burglar that then wants to take your card out and go shopping, right? So that's the idea. Tell me again what that kind of a card is called. So that's a managed card. It's a managed information card. It's the whole package that I've arranged with my It's basically just a little block of XML. Right. And you download it and it stores into card space. And the beauty then is that when you walk back up to the bank, 
and you log in subsequently and you click the login with my information card button now we're doing things over SSL so whilst we've talked about SSL standard certificates don't give you a good sense of, of identity about the identity of the site SSL is a great technology to encrypt the messages Encryption. going back and forth across the wire so, so we're taking away mechanism. SSL's obligation for identity entirely for in this particular it, part of the scenario just yeah. using it as an encryption scheme yeah. That's great. So, so up pops card space Cardspace looks at the demands being made by the website, which says, in order to log into me, you must give me a Bank of America card or a Wachovia card or whoever the bank is. And Cardspace will only light up the supporting cards in color. All the other cards are grayed out. You can't submit those. So you select your bank card. You hit submit. And the t Cardspace obtains the token, the encrypted block of XML that's going to be sent to the bank via the SSL link and the bank now decrypts that token validates it hasn't been tampered with in any way validates it was issued by the identity provider they trust and can now use the information within that token to look up that user's details and present them their accounts page so just to be clear wait just to be clear, that token contains the information, the credentials that's encrypted, but yep. before it can be decrypted, it has to be validated. Is yes. that okay. So the token is actually, the, the body of the token is encrypted. The message itself is then timestamped and signed. I see. So it can't be tampered with, and you can recognize whether you've seen that message before or not. Okay. That, that is the answer to the question, how does it work? Yeah. As the, the important thing to realize there, too, is that because we're now using information cards and card space, we have a standard user interface and a user experience right. that they're expecting. There's some other things built in, like as I go back to a site, it'll show me the cards that I've used before. So right. if I hit a phishing site and I have never used a card there before, it'll come up and say, you haven't used any cards. Hopefully Very that's good. a big red flag to me to say, well, wait, I was on here yesterday and I sent them a card. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm not where I expected to be. Pat? I'm trying to keep the user in control. Hi, this is Patrick Hines, long-time listener, first-time question asker. Nice. <laughs> so actually, I just want to point out a couple things about CardSpace as well. Um, CardSpace is modeled after the experiences that my parents track with. They, they're, you know, my father's 80 years old. He's not going to do a digital certificate. He's not going to get encryption or that stuff. And it's modeled after your wallet, just like they say. But it's got advantages over that because it's been engineered as opposed to just evolving. One of the problems that I've seen is I got called from my credit card company because I traveled with Richard to Egypt. And I got back and they said, we've seen some suspicious activity. Please call us at this number. And I looked at the back of my credit card and it wasn't the number. So I called the number on the back of my credit card and I said, I, I think somebody's just messing with me. And they transferred me to the security department and they did in fact call me and left me a number that wasn't on the back of my credit card. And after I finished yelling at them, they that's probably a good idea. We should just tell you to call the number on the back of your card. And so CardSpace has the advantages of they've really thought through not having those kinds of loopholes so that people will have a very much more difficult time abusing the system because it's been thought out and engineered as opposed to just evolving. Okay, I have very one problem with this whole concept. <laughs> the tofurkey. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with the tofu, hey, actually. I like the tofurkey. The, the tofu turkey's actually lying on the floor dead. It's honey, not a tofu just replaced turkey. It. Honey, anybody never who come, just walked up honey, is never saying, come to what a party the heck is going on up house here? Where he's cooking. That's okay. I'm sure I'll find there will be no some tofu. lonely lettuce that needs eating. Uh, Do you I'm, deep fry tofu turkeys? I'm pretty good with a portobello mushroom, but okay. <laughs> it's all in my machine. Yeah. So somebody walks off with my laptop... I'm hooped. Everything's in there. That guy's got the Don't whole Don't you have a password thing. on your laptop? Oh, well, sure. I, yeah. It's on the sticky note right in the side. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> There's your problem right there now, isn't it? So, or do all of these people wait. now know to come and lift your yeah. bag? Yeah. What I've do got, you do when you lose your wallet? I, I What's the first thing you do when you lose your wallet? Podium. What's the first thing I do when I lose my, when you lose lose my wallet? wallet? I call my swearing. wife and find out what she did with it. I call my bank. Yes. Right? So you have to call for every single credit card, right? Yeah, everything is in there. Every single card. Your driver's license. Well, actually, you know, the nice thing about my wallets is usually in my pocket. But I don't know if you've seen my laptop. There's no pocket that can Yeah, hold but that there's thing. probably less likely chance that the laptop just sort of disappears on you like a wallet out of the back of your yeah. pocket, right? I guess I mean, these are you easy that to around drop, and, yeah? you know. The other thing is, if you drop this, the anyone wallet. that walks up to it can He's use it. The wallet. That's yeah? Yeah. So We've taken some steps with card wallet. space. The, the, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we don't have screens. Radio show. So yeah. we, we've taken several steps with card space to allow you to protect your cards as best we possibly can with the mechanisms we have available today. Right. So if you want, you can individually pin protect cards that you find sensitive that you don't want others to use. It's also very useful if you share your computer with your wife and kids, for example. You can pin protect your phishing expenses Sorry, not fishing, maybe it's the wrong term. Uh, golfing <laughs> expenses card um, so that they can't charge Barbie dolls to it. Okay? Right. The other thing is that the actual store in which all the information is stored on the physical hard drive itself, with the list of cards and all the information about those cards, uh, that's actually encrypted twice. Once using the machine key, once using the user key. It's got ACLs all over it so that the only running process that's allowed to access it is card space. And essentially, that's made it now a great deal harder for someone, even if they lift your physical machine, to, for example, rip out your hard drive and try and lift the file off that hard drive and then crack into it. Or, and and I, I, I hear in all of that the, I do manage to plant a piece of spyware on your machine, mm -hmm. and even then I can't really get into the card space because I can't execute into its space. That's one of the things we did, actually. At most Microsoft technologies that we ship, we expose a great big API to give you huge amounts of customizability and, and, and extensibility. Yeah? Cardspace has two methods. One is called manage, which takes no parameters and returns no parameters and just spins Cardspace up in management mode so you can administer your Cardspace. That's what the, con the, command, sorry, the control panel applet does. And the other is get token, to which you pass the claim demands that you, you as the recipient of the token want to see the user present. And it spins Cardspace up. Cardspace then spins up in its own private desktop separate from your own logged in desktop session. So any user mode malware running on your machine has to burrow down through the kernel, across the kernel, back up the other side, and through wow. all manner of PhD level hackery wow. to really try and crack into that running process when it kicks up. And no matter what, every Every exposed API call in Cardspace involves a, a UI invoke, so yeah. in theory, the user's going to see something. The user will see it, yeah. If absolutely. they're that clever, absolutely. they can get to that point. And we have no, there's no API to enumerate what cards are in a user's store. There's no API to 
to look at the images of the cards, to programmatically submit cards. Everything has to be manually performed by the user. Could it be screen scraped? Could there be a process running that's looking at the screen and trying to uh, get um, the information Only if you manage to replace the, dis the display driver. You would have to re replace the kernel mode display driver yeah, no to be able to self. screen save. And yeah. yeah. I mean, to be honest, once you're in the kernel, it, the, all, all games are off anyway. Yeah, all bets are off well, anyway. Pretty tough. The other thing so that's too why Vista makes it so much harder to get into the kernel now. Is that the card doesn't hold the actual data for the claims. It just says, the card says you need to present this information. The actual data is someplace else. So I could screen okay, scrape now this is and different. see... I can screen not the impression okay. I got from your description of all. all right. So, 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 so we need to clarify. So we, so we need to clarify. So for so for, for personal cards, you can do managed. Okay. Personal cards, all cards are stored locally on your machine. Okay? And to, to talk to your point, if you want to move them off your machine, you can export them, or you can re-import them into another machine today. So all your cards live on the machine, but the cards contain no data. For personal cards, the data associated with the personal card is also stored on your own machine. But for managed cards... For managed cards, the card just contains the list of claims. It says, I need I this. You go out to that identity provider, the, and you get from them this encrypted block of XML that has the data. It comes to you, and then you pass it off to the website you're going to. So the data stays at the, the bank or at the employer. Yeah, that's what Michelle was talking about with the managed cards. Right. So I'm yeah. going to put that a different way. So when you create a card, personal card, you're creating two things. You're creating locally in card space... A card, which is just like uh, Scott just said, a list of possible claims that can be issued for that card, plus the identity provider that can issue those claims and put the token together. And then when you get issued, and then the other thing that gets created is the actual storage that an identity provider would store, which is your record of of the actual claim values, my name is, my address is. So that's the part that's encrypted that Richard was talking about. So there's an identity provider in card space and there's a identity selector that has the personal cards. Then when you install a managed card, what you're installing literally is only the card part because the identity provider aspect is over there somewhere by the issuer that gave me the card, right? So way over there. And when they generate a token to contain the actual claim values, uh, of course, they're encrypting it and signing it like we talked about. So, so one other thing is um, all of this sounds extremely complex, I know. But in all honesty, it's not. And I would like to ask one person, same guy, who bought the SSL certificate to uh, step up and actually share. It took him, what, about an hour or so to get card space to this work on his LaFlotte, site? by the way. Yes, hi, I am Dwayne LaFlotte. Um, yeah, from, so... You, what's that? From... I'm doing the plot from Critical Sites. There we go. So, um, I was I was charged with the task um, of of card space enabling our website, and actually that's the reason I bought the certificate yesterday. Um, so I went out, paid five dollars, bought a certificate. It took me about two hours to actually get the certificate installed. That's a different story. <laughs> but to actually card space enable our entire website only took about an hour. Um, so we already provide a portal for all of our customers to log in and track projects that we're working on for them. Um, so now that portal, was, it, was your standard username and password portal, right? We always give out to our customers a username and password that they can log into this portal with. Um, so it's very easy to make the database modifications, um, to take in different bits of information, and then just enable the front, front page of this portal to now accept card space, uh, card space cards. Um, so it's, it's not complicated by any means. 
pretty easy process. Dwayne, I'm not going to let you go that easy. So tell me what you actually did to that page. (laughs) Good question. So um, I've been, as I've given the lectures on card space here this week um, and manning the card space booth, I get a lot of really weird questions about, well, what is card space? Is it a physical card? Not weird questions, but but there's a lot of confusion around what card space really is. Is it a physical card? Is it a logical card? What do you do to enable this? Does it require .NET 3.0 or not? Uh, what do you need? Um, and I can tell you, to, to on the main web page, it can just be a regular HTML page. It doesn't even have to be .NET at all. Um, what we're doing is you're embedding, essentially, a MIME object into the page. It's about 15 lines of code. This object itself has asserted the list of claims. So what is it that my website is looking for? Um, I'm potentially looking for your first name, your last name, your email address, uh, and what we call a PPID, right, which is a personal private identifier for, for the particular card that represents your interaction between you and my, and my website. Right. So I can assert these as claims that I'm looking for, and I put that up in the object, and when I try and get the data from the, the object itself, the identity selector pops up. So in Internet Explorer 7 and Firefox and a couple other browsers out there, they understand this type, this object type that's in the page. It just pops open the selector. You get to pick a card, click send, and it actually sends that encrypted block of data directly back up to my website. From there, yeah? Question. The fields that you are asserting in that page, are those a standard list or can you just make them up? Um, so, th- so those, there are, there are standard lists of claims, and I'm, I'm not actually sure if you can extend those so, or not. So we, we published the schema to define a personal card. Okay? Okay. That's the 15 fields of telephone book quality information. If you're an identity provider and you want to issue your own cards, you get to define your own schema. All right. So you and can say so whatever the, you want about your So this gets back users. to Dwayne's PPID. That's a right. unique... Uh, claim from uh, critical sites? No, the, the PPID is a, is a unique identifier for that particular card okay. for that user, and, it, and it's a standard field that comes with the personal it's card actually, that a user may create. It's slightly yeah. more important than that. The, the PPID is so subtle and yet so incredibly important. When I walk up to your site, gentleman in the front row, and I present a token to you, I give you a unique ID. Okay. Now, one of the problems we have on the web today is replayability of someone's ID. If they still use name password, they can replay that username password across 30,000 sites in about 10 seconds. Right. right. Okay? So if I walk up to your site and I give you a unique ID, and then I walk up to your website and I give you the same card, I give you a different unique ID. Okay. Because I, I essentially do some crypto magic behind the scenes where I hash some magic number with your public key and then hash the same magic number with your public key, and because your public keys are different, you each get different IDs. Now, the beauty is if you're a fisher, and you've managed to convince me that you really are him, and I've not checked the, the certificates on the site and so on, and I've given you the card, you've got some information from me, fair enough, but you can't now masquerade as me and sign into him because you don't have the PPID that he knows me by. Now, the PPID is going to be consistent between any given pair then? Between any given card and any given site. So right. It's really pairwise like key. So, so if I export a transaction or per relationship? Per relationship. So if I export the card and import it on another machine, it will generate the same PPID on that other machine. Okay. So I want to explain why a little bit more about that. When you create a card, a personal card, let's use that example, 
it actually generates a master key that is representative. It's like a private key for the card, right? So certificate, let's call it. And that master key is used to sign the token that's generated on card space, so local personal cards that are issued, right? And so what you can think of is that the PPID, which is different for every site I go to, right, is one piece of information that uniquely identifies my card with that site. But what they also need is the uh, public key blob, right. which is passed all along with the token as well, that identifies the master key, which is the private key certificate from my card space. So if I export my certs or my cards to another machine, it's the same master key on both machines, so it's still uniquely me. But if someone else sniffs my PPID, they actually could never successfully log into that site because the site should be checking not just the PPID, but also the public key blob that is the master key of the card. Only a dog would sniff your PPID. <laughs> All right, back to Dwayne. Dwayne so, Dwayne, you, yes. you said that I don't need any code for this. So, this is an, uh, a, a mind type embedded in the page. Yes. But so, you called it an object. So, is it JavaScript? Um, so, to launch the request to actually query the data out of the, or, or, or launch up the identity selector, yeah, you can do that with JavaScript on the browser itself. Someone clicks login, clicks the card space, clicks whatever, the identity selector is going to come up, and that, that process is kicked off through a JavaScript. And that identity selector, that is not part of the browser, that's part of the card Windows. space support that's the machine. That's part yes. of Windows. That's part, of, part the, of Windows. Exactly. So, that, and it, so what Firefox and Opera and IE have all agreed on is how to trigger that part of Windows. Correct. Yeah. So in IE7, it's a MIME handler. Yeah that triggers, and there's an actual DLL that represents the object tag information card, right, that is the MIME object, MIME type, and that's all in the registry. That's mapped. And so the identity selector is mapped in the registry as well as the actual uh, provider, right? Um, in Firefox, there's a plug into Firefox that does the same thing. So it's not our MIME handler, but it's still it's invoking their own little piece of code that does the same thing. But the web page would be the same in either yeah, case. The web, the web page, the web page is, the is the same. It's yeah. an object tag or an XHTML behavior. Essentially, the browser just looks at the returned HTML and goes, oh, object tag, pass that to this handler or extension, which calls get token, which spins up card space. Okay. That happens behind the scenes. You don't have to worry about that. And then, then the, the, only, the only thing you need to do then is when you're presented the token, so I submit my token to you, and? Yeah, so yeah, once I actually get the token, there is a little bit of code. It's not all magic, right? So there is a back-end piece where I need to then take this, um, decrypt it, and pull out the claims that I was looking for. Right. right. So I, from there, if I was asking for your first name, your last name, your email address, I could then take this, uh, and Microsoft's been great with giving out a handler class, a token handler class. I think it was Garrett Surrett. Garrett. Thank you, Garrett. Yes, Garrett. Thank you, Garrett. Garrett has done a great job. There's a, there's a token class that, that you can download from Microsoft um, where you can then just pass the token into that class and pull out the claims. So you can say, I want the first name, I want the last name, and I want the email address. And he's even gone a step further. He's, he's given you the ability to pull out a unique identifier for this particular user. Um, so not just using that PPID, but then he hashes it and comes out with an even more unique identifier, something you could then use to, say, store in a database and associate with this user. Okay. And that so includes really the public key blob that I was talking about. Like right? yeah. The unique ID is the PPID plus the you know, public key blob of the master key. Yeah. So it's really no more difficult than, say, pulling fields out of a request uh, it, object. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's the same amount of code. So in our website, all I had to do was add this object pad object tag to the front of our web pages. 
And then on the page that actually takes in the card, it's really only about five or six lines of code to pass in the token, pull out the three claims I was actually looking for, and that unique identifier. Now, the Very mechanism we're do. looking at here then is a postback or is it a yeah. form it's, submit? It's, an XML, it's just an HTTP post. So when the first page comes up, mm -hmm. the card space handler comes up, Guy selects a card. Is something written back into the page, or is that actually submitted directly no. back? It's just Richard. HTTP posted over SSL. From the card space page. Well, uh, so, so when the MIME handler or the extension calls get token, it gets back a token. Right. So it just HTTP posts that message do straight you, to the do website. Do you write the code for that? Is that no, just happen? That's all done for you. That all, that's, that's all that's just handled. That's the browser wow. doing that. Right. Yes. That's you the can. extension or the MIME handler. Okay. Yeah. You can on the page if you wanted to actually display that, that encrypted token data if you wanted to, but it just gets posted back. And it's no different for managed or unmanaged nope. cards. Same no mechanism. Difference. Right. Same mechanism to decrypt, same, same mechanism code, to same validate. Everything. Right. You just get a different set of claims if it's a managed card. And so in, in the user experience here, the first page comes up, it says use card space, you click on it, the card manager comes up, I select the card, and now a new page comes up that says, hey, you're logged in. Exactly. Well now, with managed card, the, the managed card provider could actually modify that process so that they require a PIN or they require another login or something along those lines because managed cards are a little bit more... Yeah. As Michelle so, is holding up her hand, I'll let her explain this that process. So we were talking about this yesterday in yes. my talk talk, and the the I mean the the managed card contains certain information. One is where can I where should I go? Where should CardSpace go to issue the token? The other is what are the claims that we want it to issue? Because that goes in an RST or a request for the token, right? Um, but the other piece is credentials required or user credentials. So you need to you can't just select a managed card. Uh, and issue a token. I mean, you have to authenticate to the provider. The whole point is that the identity provider is vouching for you, that you are who you say you are. So just the fact that you installed the managed card isn't enough. You have to authenticate still to the identity provider. So you're thinking, okay, great, now I still have to authenticate. But if, you're, if it requires a Kerberos token, then it will silently just pass your identity on the machine. And if you're on the same domain and you're doing this corporately, then that just works. If you're using a certificate, more or less the same thing, right? Right. Um, if you're using Unless it's on here. Okay. Sure. Right. On a smart card. On a smart right. Card. So then you'd have to plug it in. And no so. sight gigs but, on a video show. On a, on a radio show, right? You, so, you so, showed your, your Microsoft smart yeah. card. So it's a, or, or any other smart card you might have. So if the managed card issuer says you must provide an X509 certificate, they would only only request a certificate off a particular device that they trust. Right. And so they might actually prompt you and say, please insert your smart card and type in your PIN. Right. 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 And so then, then and then there's possibility that it says username password and that would be requiring me to type in my username and password which we don't want, right? But right. I think we have agreed in many conversations that the personal card is equivalent to a username and password. In fact, the master key that I talked about is like the uh the password and the PPID is like the username. So those two things combined are more secure than just using There's a username us. and a password. And so what you can do is you can do something called backing a managed card with a personal card. And what that means is that it will silently find the personal card you installed. I won't get into how that happens, but it's not difficult at all. And then you wouldn't have to log in to the identity provider. It just works. But you don't have to do any code for that. That all just no, happens behind the scenes. It just works. And um, one other key is on the client, you do have to have .NET Framework 3.0. Right, which now, if you're running card space, you've got it. Well, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Hard it's built into Windows is Vista. is a part of it. Right. But yep. it's not just part of Vista. I mean, some people think, okay, well, .NET 
Homework 3 that comes on Vista already. You can download it for XP and Windows Server 2003. Right. Okay. Yes. We have, we have, and we, we have uh, uh, the whole, uh, when Vista was first coming together, that event where they said, oh, we're going to take these things apart and make them available earlier. <laughs> so now we have uh, earlier OSs have, have those capabilities. Yeah. Now, the user experience part of this that fascinates me is the smart card. Now, what, what kinds of things can you do with that? I mean, what, what, can you put all of your cards on the smart card ah. and then use it by, like, you know, come up to your computer, wave it, beep, so you're, you're in. So um, you're thinking of the portability side of things. So right. how do I carry my cards with me? Right. Well, in Cardspace V1, uh, we allow you to export cards to a password-encrypted file so that you can copy it on a USB stick, take it home, and then import it to your machine at home All right. or to another machine that you own. Uh, we're working in future versions of Cardspace uh, on portability solutions, which would allow you to store your various cards on smart cards, on cell phones, on USB sticks, on yeah. chips implanted in the back of your head, as far as we're All concerned. All right. So, brain implants, excellent. Absolutely. So, you know, we're looking at a variety of options for hardware vehicles that you can use, maybe a dongle you put on your key ring, maybe your, key, your car key. Right. So, so I know some of the car manufacturers are looking at turning this into a smart card, essentially. So yeah, so we're working on that for a future scenario, but we've got you know, moderate portability now and better portability coming. Dwayne, we got a question there from the audience. Okay. Uh, this may be more philosophical than the, the technical, but uh, one of the things I haven't heard you address is uh, Amazon.com, Dimension One. Uh, they say they, they need a certain amount of information. Who, who negotiates what information they really have a right to? Just because I've produced this entire list, does everybody that asks for my card have access to everything. No. So remember what, remember what Dwayne said about what he had to put in the front page of his website, which was the block of XML, the object tag, that says, I want you to give me this particular type of token with these particular fields. First name, last name, email address, for example. Now, Amazon can slap that block of XML on their website. Someone else might slap a different block of XML saying, uh, your bank would say, give me your banking card with your customer ID number and your member since. I, I think so do I have visibility of that? Yes, I mean, absolutely. that's something yes. I would never... So, so what Cardspace does is when it spins up, it looks at those requested claims and it sorts or it, 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 it enables the cards that can meet those claims and grays out the cards that can't. So there's no point in showing you um, or giving you the ability to submit a card that doesn't have a username, uh, first name, last name, email address if that's what the website wants you to submit. So Cardspace grays out the cards that don't meet the incoming d uh, demand policy and lights up those that can in color So to give you a visual cue. So when you click the card and you hit submit for the first time, we force a preview on you. So you get to preview the information that's going to be submitted to the site before it ever leaves your machine. Okay? Once you hit submit, then the token is sent. And Subsequent visits, it's optional. Yeah. And optional claims are not sent unless you opt in. So by default, those optional claims don't go. Yeah. So okay. you, are you are absolutely in control of what information you exchange, with whom, and how. And that also means that you could have one personal card that identifies your personal information like an address and your you know, home numbers and such that you don't give to everybody. Uh, you know, your bank might require you to pass some of that information if assuming they used personal cards to associate, right? But you'd be okay with that. Whereas everywhere else, I would only send my email address, let's say. So right? I'm thinking about the card space phishing experience mm. that 
the bad guy builds a site that makes the request for my Bank of America data because he knows, he's hoping I have a Bank of America card. And I go to his site and he makes those requests. So up pops card space. And the only card that lights up is Bank of America. Yep. Uh, no. And the first thing is... Be- before you get there, what comes up is says, here are the cards you've sent to the site before and that list is empty. Right. So you, you get a first So first cue is... First cue is an information page about that site. Right. To say... Here's what we know about the site. If it's protected with a standard certificate, it says, here's the site domain name. Right. With a warning saying, this doesn't meet CardSpace's requirements from a major bank or internet business. So before he's even, you even offered cards, you're already saying, something's wrong here. Well, we're saying, here's what we can tell you about the site. You've not right. been here before. We're here's saying, what we know about never, the site. You've never made, had a CardSpace request yeah. from these guys before. If, if that site is protected with an EV cert, an extended validation certificate that we talked about earlier that turns the address bar green, we actually show you a very nice shiny page. Yes. With the company logo that the certificate authority also did a trademark search on. Right. And the, uh, the certificate authority's logo and the name of the company behind it and the state and city and country. All about helping to build confidence so there. Awesome. Absolutely. But, but you know what? There's more How to do this. I know it was a banking site? Exactly. So if you turn up at a site that looks like Bank of America, feels like Bank of America, you were there yesterday, looks just the same. You click a button, and up pops the page saying, this isn't the bank or major internet business. Yeah, not this so is www.stealyouridentity.com. <laughs> You're going to go, uh, maybe not. Cancel. But, all right. Well, I'm, let's say you hit it, though. Let's yeah, say you I want to keep it, going because right? I'm not so, that bright. So, so the, managed, <laughs> oh, we know. The, managed, the managed card experience is a bit interesting because bank issues me a managed card. They store my actual claims, right? Uh, somebody actually, let's say I select the managed card, and it ends up diverting, uh, pointing to another target site. Okay, So they have a different cert. So we've gone through all that. And I said, I want to go for it anyways. I'm stupid. Okay. And so what happens is the request for the security token still goes to the bank. And it says the token that you're creating should be encrypted for this site. And the bank's going to say, I don't trust that site. That's not one of the public keys that I issue tokens for. There's a trust relationship usually between the identity provider and you know the sites that it will send those uh, tokens to. So Absolutely. even though the Bank of America card could light up saying this is the only right. one that qualifies right because it's a managed card bank of america is going to decline to submit to provide that right. token Absolutely. because right. you've asked it for the wrong site and this right. is a really important and valuable part of the story because this means that the user has control over which cards they think they want to submit right the identity provider that actually owns the data gets to decide whether or not they want to release a token mm. for the site that's going to consume the token at the end of the day and the consumer of the token, the website you're sending it to, gets to say, hey, you just submitted me a token that was of the right type and everything else, but I don't like that particular identity provider anymore. I'm not going to accept it. So each party gets control over their part of the relationship. It seems like there's a lot of points of possible failure, too. Yeah, I I wonder if we're now far enough over on the I'm protecting you from your dumbness side that we're going to have cards that don't work when we really need them to work. There is that possibility. But at the end of the day, we've got to protect you somehow. Right. I, 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 my my other thought is that forward. I'd like to get there. 
Yeah. Actually, I'd like to get to the point where we're now complaining that car space isn't working well enough because we're so dependent on it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a good. Problem. And then we can mend that, and we can yeah. work on ways and we can to, work to on make it better. Diluting that. And just to wrap up, a final point in case anyone still has any doubt: this is a shipping product. This is a shipping product. Yep. So you it's can actually shipped within Windows Vista or as a download as part of the .NET Framework three for XP. 2003 server, and of course it's going to be built into Windows Server 2008. So if you have .NET Framework 3.0, you already have card space? You already have card yeah. space. Go look okay. at your control panel, bottom of the list, Windows card space. And one other awesome place to go and find out more about card space is msdn.microsoft.com slash card space. Yep. Oh, and or come find us at the blue booth down the end of the corridor. It's a bit of a walk, but we've got some great demos to show you as well. Yep. Another we can site, netfx3.com. And yep. there's a, a whole section on card space. NetFX. NetFX3.com. There's a sandbox you can play with and have a play with card space there as well. All right. Well, uh, we've pretty much run out of time and then some. So we're <laughs> sorry if we kept you from your sessions. And thank you to our esteemed panel. Pat and Dwayne out in the audience, thanks very much thanks, for pitching guys. in. And uh, thanks all of you. And I have a big pile of T-shirts to hang out. So stick around for a minute. And as for you, dear listener, we will see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm